On this week's episode of 90 Degrees, which MMA markets are the softest to bet into? Catching wind of injury info, and should we move into open scoring? That and more on today's episode of 90 Degrees. Welcome to the 90 Degrees podcast, where we take an inside look into the sports betting industry. I'm your host, G-Stack George, and I'm excited. I got a fellow countryman, a fellow Greek, Nick Kalikas, pro odds maker and pro better joining me, founder of MMA Odds Breaker. Nick, thanks so much for doing this. Thanks for having me on, George. Appreciate it. I was reading by your bio, you you got uh, exposed to MMA at a young age. How old were you? Well, with mixed martial arts, I mean, I was kind of a traditional martial artist before that. So I was like a Taekwondo practitioner, karate practitioner, fighting in sport karate tournaments. So that's kind of where I got my background. My dad was a black belt when I was like three years old, I think. So he got me training in the basement before I actually officially started Taekwondo when I was about five or six. So my background all kind of stems from martial arts and traditional martial arts. Like I said, more of the striking aspects of things. Yeah. So with MMA evolving to what it was, I mean, I, I've been a fan since basically UFC one for sure. I mean, so that's kind of how far back um, on MMA fandom dates, I guess you would say. I don't want to age you, but I remember I must have been eight years old, nine years old uh, during UFC one. So I've got some age too. How old were you during UFC one? Holy cow. Uh, UFC one. What date was that, man? What late? Wasn't it the uh, late 90s, I, think it, I believe? Yeah, it was like 96 or 7. I think it was around that time. So, yeah, I mean, I, I was in my late teens for sure. Yeah, late teens. So I'm 46 years old right now, um, you know. So it was 93. Yeah, okay. It was like 1993-ish. The reason I ask is it's a lot It's a lot more common for people to get into MMA and everything at a younger age now, uh, especially when you see it on TV yourself, you got started before there was a sport and before it did evolve to the level it did. Um, you also, um, have experience with betting, uh, in my Greek household, I was, you know, I was influenced by uncles and cousins at an early age. What, what was your first exposure to, to betting? Yeah. I mean, I guess not as much in, in that regard. I mean, of course, some cards, a lot, you know, Greeks are famous for playing cards or whatnot. So maybe a little bit of card games here or there. Then again, like you said, the Greek community in general, definitely big time gamblers. But for me, again, it's probably maybe when I was around 18, 19, like uh, independently myself, you know, I, I started, there was a gentleman that was, um, I, I bumped into that, you know, a mutual friend of mine or whatnot. And he had a little sheet. So he gave me an account, started betting some football uh, and actually doing pretty well. I mean, obviously very square at the time. I mean, you know what I mean? Just not doing a lot of research, just kind of going by more gut feel and everything like that. I ended up having a successful year, but it ended up getting me, you know, more into gambling or whatnot too. I started taking it serious. So I started off just being basically, you know, a sports fan and then got an introduction late, I guess, in life and compared to most, I guess, 18, 19, possibly. You know why most people we talk to uh, involved in the betting space uh, all say that they started off well? It's because they're still doing it. We got we got hooked early with some false ideas of how good and lucrative it could have been. Whereas, you know, if you get your ass handed to you though in your first uh, month or two betting, you may have put it down for good. What level of better do you describe yourself as? And like, what sports are you betting? Is it just MMA? I mean, my main focus is MMA, but no, not at this point. At this point, it's evolved into a little bit of everything, right? So, I mean, I'm definitely at the highest level as far as betting goes. I, I believe not to sound egotistical or whatnot, but I mean, I've been, you know, making odds, originating odds for 
in this industry for over 20 years. So the contacts I've made, the people that I've worked with. So it's definitely put me, I think, in the you know upper tier of like pro betters or whatnot too. So I do, I try to find some line value. Obviously line value is super important. So I'm not an expert say in NFL, but if I could utilize the information and you know what I mean, some sharp opinions from friends or whatever the case may be. And then line shopping, obviously, like we say, you know, if I can grab some numbers. So I bet everything. Baseball was actually very good for me this year. And again, I'm not a, a baseball sharp or anything like that. It's just betting numbers into numbers and stuff. So yeah, I do bet everything, but my main focus and my personal opinion gets played into UFC a little bit more than anything else. All right. You say you originate odds. Oh, how do you begin to originate odds for a fight? Whereas, you know, it's a lot easier for some traditional sports to have a baseline. Where do, where do you begin to, to, to come up with a number? Well, for me, I mean, my origination started in late 2003. So I've been like, as far as the market goes, you know, working, in the past with other, you know, like dominant sports books or whatnot. So that's when I started handicapping and originating my odds was in 2003. Now, these days, I'm more of a market shader than an actual originator, if you would say, because the markets, everybody's putting out numbers. Like, I mean, as soon as the fight's announced, people are just trying to throw the number out as fast as you can, right? So I still originate my own numbers and I have those internally, but markets are already out there six months ahead of time, you know? So for me, when I was truly originating things, it was a little bit different. So it's been probably for, I would say about 10, 15 years, a lot of the, um, lines that people were seeing floating around did originate from my desk. Um, and again, going into it all, I mean, it, from the beginning, it started off very basic. There wasn't even, when I first started making odds, there wasn't a lot of internet. I mean, the internet was late nineties as well, right? The internet didn't even come into existence until the late nineties. So the data, the information, everything kind of floating around was a lot tougher when I started making odds. It's not like it is now where you could go on there and see footage and, you know, like get different uh, data from different websites or whatever the case may be. So it was a lot different back then. So you just kind of had to grind out, try to gather as much information as you can and do as much homework as you can to try to kind of form those numbers. Then of course, as years went by, everything got a little bit sharper. The information started coming in to play a little bit more and uh, you know, kind of things kind of evolved into what it is. I started my own little system and I have a method of, you know, my originating my system or whatnot. And it's kind of evolved into more analytics these days um, than obviously in the past. Cause yeah, everything's evolved. You have to evolve with times or you know you're going to get left behind sort of thing yeah i i just wonder is it is it a model of okay each fighter is worth x on a baseline uh data included and then the actual matchup style of the two fighters and how they compare uh is that are you doing a little bit of everything uh before you arrive to your number yeah, a little bit of everything. I'll try. I mean, the most important thing, if you're a fight handicapper and a lot of guys have had success betting UFC, I guarantee you will truly understand what I'm saying here. I mean, it all comes, you got to stem from the, the footage first. I think you dive into the footage. Now, again, the analytical part and all the data comes kind of along with it and it's icing on the cake. But if you really want to be successful, I think you still traditionally dive into the data or dive into the film, I'm sorry, and, and kind of utilize each matchup. So you take just start on paper if you need to very basic stuff so start on paper look at the fights jot down some notes or whatnot and then look at the stylistically how these guys match up and then again you go look at everything else through some analytical websites the ufc even has ufcstats.com that's just a very basic analytical stat that a lot of you know betters are kind of looking at looking at the takedown defense just looking at some of the basic stats that you could kind of pull from there as well so for me i developed a system with that the very basic stuff and then again like i said i've kind of transformed it into like how do these guys match up against each other some strengths weaknesses a lot of basic stuff but again when you kind of formulate everything into one thing especially you know 20 years later it kind of gets a little bit stronger as years go on but i think more importantly than anything it's watching film and studying the fighters all right there's a lot of uh different markets people can bet method of victory which fighter is going to win total rounds 
what do you think is the hardest uh, market to beat? And what do you think is the softest market right now? Um, honestly, the softest market, definitely the props still. I, I would say the props still have a long way to go. Um, as far as like method of victories go, they're pretty weak. I mean, look, the props do, or books do print money with these because a lot of squares come in and just, they love to bet the props. They just love to kind of bet narratives in, in situations like that. But I still think the sharps that kind of dive into stuff can definitely pick up apart some of those props, like the inside the distance props. Of course, the totals are relatively weak. They're, everything's getting a little bit sharper with time, of course. But I still think those are the markets, the totals and some of the props that you see, like I said, the inside the distance type of lines, they're a little bit still weaker than most areas of MMA betting. And not to mention, I mean, those are usually the things that get left behind. So when a fight bet comes in and, and they're moving the money line, oftentimes at a sports book, they kind of forget to move or adjust the props accordingly. So a lot of times you can find some value in markets like that. They are definitely the weaker of any area, I think, or any aspect of MMA betting. In uh, recreational bettors, a lot of the time they like to bet on name recognition. Oftentimes you see uh, a once great fighter uh, in the down, you know, that final five fight stretch of his career where they basically lose to everybody. They're giving the rub to somebody who's less uh, less known. They can't help themselves. And sometimes I found that some of those prices are short on the much better unknown fighter. I wanted to know, um, you know, big name fights, a lot of money is going to come in. Um and books work with price discovery as the money comes in from certain betters that they profile, they, they figure out where to move the line. Does that automatically make the lesser known fights, maybe even not in the UFC, uh, some softer fights that you can attack? A hundred percent. That is so accurate. So true. I mean, a lot of times the prelim card fighters, maybe the first fight two or three that, you know, stacked on the bottom towards the card where a lot of people don't pay a lot of attention to those. Cause you, you're right. The recency biased, and all the hype gets factored into the main card fighters that, you know, a lot of public goes into that, but you can take advantage of that too. So it kind of works both ways, but the lines I think for sure are a little bit softer because there's less attention paid to some of the debuting fighters. Maybe some of the fighters that aren't going to get that kind of stardom or star power with them. And then around the prelim. So yeah, I think those spots could definitely be exploited more. I compare them a lot of times to like some of the smaller organizations or maybe like an LFA fight or even Dana White contender series. Some of the, the prelim fights, you know, those lines typically are weaker and you can definitely exploit those at times. So I think that that's what you're seeing. It's somewhat on the prelim portion of the UFC fights. So I do think that if you target some of those, I mean, especially the underdogs in those spots are the way to go. It's hard to lay some chalk on some of these unknown guys or some of the people that don't, you don't have as much information on, but it, it seems to be like dog oriented a lot of times in those spots. Hey, I want to talk to you about Pinnacle. Pinnacle is the world's sharpest sports book and available to bettors in Ontario. Find out what professional bettors have known for the last 25 years. Everyday competitive odds, your trusted sports book. Bet smart, bet Pinnacle, must be 19 plus in Ontario. Please play responsibly, not available in the U.S. Now back to the show. I also find uh, betting the outcome that doesn't happen often in, in a, a particular fighter's career have been opportunistic you know uh, if a guy's got a six seven fight sample size and he's never subbed somebody sometimes you can get some outrageous prices uh even if the opponent is actually susceptible to to, to getting subbed or, or if a guy's a knockout specialist sometimes we don't give enough credit for a, de a decision victory um with fights information can change how we look at fight there was obviously the big scandal of the uh the guy who, who was connected to fighters and he was uh, selling information um today and this this interview is going to air after this fight but there was a video that floated around of usman uh, uh tangling with gaith g and people were disseminating that 
something was said about how's your knee and he said it popped and you know Gaethje came out and said that's not what was said um that's public scene and, and people will react to that but oftentimes uh we won't hear about an injury until the fight's over uh and and you're like i wish i was armed with that piece of information before making my bet um it does that naturally mean if you have good networks and connections and friends within this community because word does get around you can be privy to some stuff that maybe others aren't and then a line that may not make sense uh can actually pay dividends there, it's, it's tough though man it's not that easy because you know what there's so much injury news and so much information that gets floated around so much is false so they're just so you got to take everything kind of for a grain of salt but i do have obviously the connections i made through the years or whatnot i feel pretty strong about it and a lot of times when you hear something you catch wind of something maybe being off the line does get impacted and then you kind of see it playing out that way so more times than not there is something to it where there's smoke there's fire so to speak but at the same time there's just so much bogus information that gets kind of tossed around you got to be careful with it but today as you were mentioning the Usman stuff um the line did creep back up a little bit Chimaev was actually the line was dropping like people were coming in on Usman and as we see right now I'm looking over at the Don Best screen and we're seeing the line kind of float back up to minus 300 as I say that it's dropping back down so I, I guess it'll bounce back and forth a little bit not surprising when you have an underdog like Usman anyway a guy that's proven and championship material every one of the best fighters the UFC's ever seen and he's got a price tag around plus 230 that alone will draw casual betters to him right so I think we're going to see some of that but again a little bit of injury information or something speculation it does impact the line and you see it a lot of times and again I, I did see the Shemayev side, side kind of climb up where it was dropping the last few days but now again we're seeing it drop back down so definitely interesting and then oftentimes there's some info that, like, I remember the Gagne and uh, Nganu fight about Nganu's bad knee, and it didn't matter. He dominated. He was, like, didn't need to knock him out, beat him on decision, just dominated the fight. And it's like, okay, sometimes maybe what you're hearing isn't uh, isn't so accurate. You uh, started doing media. Um, how did you decide, you know what, uh, I love MMA, I love betting MMA, I also want to do some media. Well, man, that's a good question. And um, it, it basically, I guess it would stem back from, again, the, the sport karate background that I had, the martial arts background. I got an opportunity to, to do media, um, again, around year 2000. It was around 2000. And I had a little reputation built in Ohio for you know being a karate fighter, winning state titles. We had a good karate team with us, all that stuff, right? So I got... Um, asked to do a show. It was kind of before, again, the internet was kind of at its infancy or whatnot. And we had a show like this. It was uh, a podcast called Pro Karate Weekly that was actually a video, you know, with my brother and I talking fights or, or whatnot. So that's where I got my start from this. And it was, I think at that time, there was only maybe Shared Dog Radio had a podcast, MMA Weekly had a podcast. So we were like one of three that kind of hit the industry, maybe one of three or four, something like that. So we got an early start to that. Um, and then that's kind of what led me into the gambling aspect of things. People like there was an offshore book that actually started listening to our show um, and they caught wind of it. So they, you know, started talking to us, hit, hit us up on the side. And that kind of led into the odds making career that I have right now. It's as funny as it all is. But then once I got offshore and, and I was in Costa Rica, actually, there was um, somebody that approached me that thought, hey, let's do some odds videos. You know, you're originating a lot of these odds. Let's make a video, bring out some reporters or whatnot, tell them that you're going to break this odd. So I, I had a show called um, MMA Oddsbreaker, obviously, along with my website. And I would actually host the show. I would originate a line and then have like reporters like Brett Okamoto from ESPN come on, um, something along those lines. And I would actually give them first dibs at the line. I would create a line and I would you know, put it out there and say, okay, this is my line. What do you guys have? I have two reporters. Give them, them a $500 
you know, fantasy type of bankroll, whatever. And they would just basically say, okay, with that $500 at this price, I would actually bet this. And he would bet that side. If both of them agreed, I would actually move the line like five cents, 10 cents. And then I would release it to the sports book. It would be a real line. So it actually stemmed from a pre-show. We recorded the show, we had it live. And then it actually, the line originated from there and actually went to the sports books at that time too. So that was my first stint into media. And then after that, I kind of, you know, was got a little bit more comfortable. I started doing videos for Don Best. Don Best had TV show, uh, like little, you know, streams, video streams like this, talking about other sports. And I, myself and Frank Trigg were kind of the Don Best duo that we were talking about fights and handicapping fights back then. And then it just kind of led to everything else. I mean, four years ago, I signed a contract with the UFC, um, which obviously is, is a game changer. And I've been trying so hard to get, uh, you know, into that door. And I finally was able to accomplish that goal. And working for the UFC has been just fantastic. That company as a whole is just one of the, the best experiences of my life. And hopefully, you know, we have uh, more time to come as well. So we should be up for renewal here soon. How did that come about? Like, do you reach out? Do they say, hey, we like what you're doing? Um, who reaches out to who? For the UFC stuff. It was it was funny because it was actually Twitter, social media. You know, all of us are you're living on social media. And the MMA community is strong on social media for sure. Yeah. So I forget exactly how it all came about, but it was through DMs, through Twitter DMs. And, and I was approached. I, I had some conversations going with some of the producers for the UFC for a while. Like I said, I've been knocking on that door for a long time. And then finally, when they, you know, developed UFC on the line and they originally had, they had Yanni the Greek on there and he's obviously he's the main guy and he's still uh, a big time part of the show, but they actually had a a fighter like um, we had Tyron Woodley, I believe at first, or Michael Bisping, they they were coming on as a um, co-host to Yanni and and talking about the betting. So they just decided to take it up another notch. The fighters weren't, you know, as far as betting fights, it's tough. You know, if these guys, they could pick fights, they could do whatever, but it, it's a different beast to actually bet lines and bet fights or whatnot. So they took it to a another level and they, they decided to bring me on board too. So it was like through DMs and whatnot. They asked me if I'd be interested in doing something like that. I had to go and try out. I had to audition. I had to make it through these cuts. And then I finally made it through. So, which again, it was one of those things where I've been, you know, that was a goal of mine for a long time. And then um, once I made it there, things have been going pretty good, thankfully, but it took some time for sure to get there. I think there's one dynamic with uh, anytime you do media and you got to give out picks because everybody wants your pick. Who do you like in this? Right. And it's usually the day of the fight or, or the day before. And oftentimes it's like, no, this thing was bettable a week and a half ago. The line is perfect right now. It's in the right range. Uh, but, you know, it's forced content. You have to make picks. Um, how do you approach that? Do you just say, you know what, uh, e- even if I wouldn't bet it at this number, I've got to give I got I'm forced to feed the beast type thing. Dude, I'm glad you brought that up because people don't even understand. I mean, doing look, first of all, making bets, it's tough as it is. Right. But on on top of him going on a show and giving out bets on a show is a different beast in its own right. A lot of times we don't have a lot of the props available. We'll shoot earlier than people anticipate. We try to record our shows for UFC on the line live, but oftentimes we're we're double recording, meaning that we record the live show and then we might do the pay-per-view that same day. That's the following week. So some of the lines when the show comes out might be a little stale, might be a little, you know what I mean? It's, it's different. It's just, it's, it's production, it's TV. Just that's the life that we live when you're doing kind of this stuff. So you hear some trolls from time to time, you know, kind of get in there and give their two cents or whatnot. But even again, bankroll management, everything kind of gets adapted and changes a little bit. Now, genuinely, I try, I'm not going to ever go on a show and give out something that I, I don't believe is going to win. So that there's a hundred percent truth to that. So I'm not going to lead people in the wrong, because I, man, I, you feel bad. Look, when you lose on a show, and I'm sure you've given out plenty of, of, of picks on podcasts, or dude, it kills you. Like it's bad enough when you lose and you're losing money for yourself, but then when it's public 
and it's out there and, and you think you cost other people money on top of it all, or, you know, it just feels that much worse. So it, it is definitely a different type of, um, game and a beast and whatnot you want to say and as far as odds and picking it it's not the most ideal situation especially on fight day there's times where our bets do get canceled a fighter gets pulled out and then we have to kind of replenish that bankroll so we get a thousand dollars and say like three hundred dollars of our bankroll gets removed because a fighter gets canceled they want us to push back in and actually go in and, and you know make more bets with that three hundred dollar bankroll which isn't the most ideal situation at times but again I'll try to find a spot and just make it work as best as possible. And, you know, we try to be as transparent as possible as well. So it's, it's just one of those things. It's not the easiest uh, thing to do when you're, you know, giving up picks and trying to be accurate and you're trying to win on shows. But overall, I think we've done a pretty good job, to be honest with you. Tell me about the um, the way the media around MMA, because once upon a time, it was Ariel Helwani, right? He was, he was the guy, the first guy. And now there's a lot more MMA media around, but also betting markets. Once upon a time, it wasn't as popular as like, especially when COVID happened and MMA was the first thing back that people could really bet on. It probably brought in a lot of new bettors. And then, you know, obviously legalization across uh, mo a lot of the states in the United States. Uh, how has the betting market and how has the media around MMA evolved? Well, the media has been interesting for years now. I mean, it, like, again, they're in our, our community or, you know, the fan base. Look, I like I'm friends with a lot of the media members out there. They're very knowledgeable. They do a great job. It, it's a hard sport to cover on so many different layers. Right. Especially even outside of the big organization, the UFC. But yeah, like you said, now with with the COVID situation, there's so many more fans that are coming on board. The betting has just ballooned to another level. Um, and more media members are coming in, diving into this thing as well. So for the media, I don't know. It's it's kind of one of those love-hate things, I think, across the board for us all. Uh, but again, there's a lot of quality media members. In fact, I'll go a little bit sidetracked. It, for me personally, when you're looking at some of these judges' decisions and when you're looking at some of the media and they're giving out their scorecards, I think they're doing a great job. I think overall, the media is actually more accurate than what we're seeing in the judging, like the judges' scorecards at times. So that's frustrating when you get to see so many bad decisions you know, happen in the UFC, not just the UFC. And that's the other thing. Let me just point that out there for a lot of people that might not know. It's not the organization that's actually in charge or responsible for these judges. It's, it's the state commissions. It's the athletic commissions that are signing these judges. So whether it's Bellator, whether it's UFC, whatever the organization is, they're not really handpicking their judges. So it's, it's frustrating for sure. I'm sure across the board, all of these leagues would like the judging to get better. It, it just is what it is. But I, I'm just mentioning the media to that because a lot of times what you'll see on fight day, you'll see the media go out there and actually score the fight a lot more correctly. So I think there's more good with the media than there is bad in this uh, space, but there's a lot of craziness that goes down with it too. So uh, it's kind of love and hate, like I said, for me. Would you want to see open scoring? Because I know there's a lot of people who want that transparency for two reasons. I think judges would be held a lot more accountable if you knew round by round how the hell could you just score it like that? Whereas, you know, sometimes at the end of the fight, even if it's a fight that's deemed a robbery, it, it all gets mashed together. And then the other part is uh, fighters would know what they need in the fifth round, and we could probably get some really exciting outcomes. Would you be a fan of open scoring or not? I know people are either, they either hate it or love it. And I'm somewhere in between. I hate to say it that way, but it, it's true because I do see the benefits of what you're saying. Dude, I want to hold these judges accountable so bad. You have no idea because I've been burnt on so many decisions. I mean, that's the hardest part about betting MMA. And I've said it for years now, and it's true. And that's the other thing people don't realize. It's not like this is a new thing. Judges have been terrible for years, man. It's been like this for a long time. It's just not getting any better. So for me, the open scoring, I mean, we have to try something. So I'm down for like anything new, trying to get this thing a little bit better, maybe adding more judges. I've heard all sorts of different aspects of things, uh, and, you know, way to uh, 
possibly get things a little bit better. So if it's open scoring, yes, especially if we're going to hold these guys accountable because it needs to be done. I mean, we see some wacky decisions. Look, if it's a close fight and you can make a case for either guy, fine, whatever the case may be, even if the majority of the people score it one way. But when you're seeing 30-27 fights get scored completely the other way, there's a problem and that's an issue. I would love these guys to get pulled, you know, from the judging assignment the rest of the night and then maybe have to go through a training course, under, like maybe go through that fight. I'm not sure what exactly takes place after the fact, after these bad decisions happen. That's what I'm trying to get to. And I'm trying to dig in a little bit more, honestly. Um, I, I've reached out to, you know, some of the athletic commissions and stuff like that. When uh, So I'm going to have one of these guys on the show eventually too. And, and so they can explain to us what goes on and all of the craziness about the judging and, you know, how we can make things better. But for right now, if it's open scoring, like I said, I'm kind of on the fence with it. I kind of like things to be a little bit more private. I I think the surprise element is also pretty cool when you're, you know, you're sitting there, you're not sure you're on the edge of your feet, which way the scorecards are going to be read. So I like that part of it, but we do definitely need to get the judging in general better. So if it's open scoring, that's going to prove that I'm all for it. Hey, the easiest way to improve as a sports better is use multiple sports books and always get the best odds. We recommend using an odds comparison tool like BetStamp. BetStamp compares odds across every sports book for games, futures, and player props. Save time and money by checking BetStamp before you bet. Download the app today. If you're looking to sign up for a new sportsbook account, please check out the offers available at betstamp.app forward slash circles off or hit the link in the description. If you sign up through this page, it helps support the show. Now back to the episode. I remember Shogun who uh, against Lyoto Machida and you know, I was one of the guys who had the plus 350 on Shogun because the world didn't realize how good he was once upon a time. And he clearly beat Machida and didn't get the decision. And then, of course, in the rematch now, he's like, uh, he's like, uh, pick him basically. And it's like, all right, like Value Town is gone on, on Shogun in this spot. Uh, so that's an example of uh, getting it wrong and the judges burning you. It's one thing to... You got to handicap the the fight correctly. You got to get at, get in at a good price point, and then it's still sometimes left up to uh, human judgment as opposed to like uh, uh, an objective result of like three goals to two. Let's do some word association. I'm going to give you some names of people in MMA, uh, and I just want your first word or phrase or thought about them that comes up. Uh, Anderson Silva. Go. I guess I, and that was just my first word that came out. You know, I don't know if that's exactly a hundred percent true, but that's the first thing that came to mind. Go. He's my all time favorite. Uh, Dana White. Business. What a businessman he is, dude. Just, I mean, one of the, the best businessmen I've ever like, like, you know, even just have seen even from a distance close, whatever you want to say, just business, pure business. Him, him, Don King and Dana uh, and Vince McMahon are, the all-time greatest promoters in the history of anything involving fights. Uh, Fedor Emelianenko. Another goat. I hate to say it, but again, because a lot of people that might not know Fedor, I mean, he's been considered the heavyweight goat for for a long time. It's just unfortunate that he didn't make it over to the UFC, especially like, you know, in his prime. That would have been fantastic to see. But yeah, another goat. Sorry. Ronda Rousey. Um, Man, I... I, I want to say, what's the word I'm looking for? It's hard to spit this out. Um, like a first of her kind, um, or, or what's the word I'm looking for to put, to put that out there? Um, or maybe like trailblazer. Maybe, yeah. She, trailblazer. There we go. That's, that's a good word. Trailblazer. She is because you know what, even though even before her, you know, there's been some ladies, even cyborg was around before her. Um, and before that, but I think she's the one that really got women's MMA on the map. And with her jujitsu skill, with the talent, and, and let me just say, 
she was not overrated. I mean, I understand the kind of everybody kind of caught up to her and passed her or whatever, but when she was winning those fights, she was phenomenal. So trailblazer is a good word. I, I like it. Thank you for the assist. Uh, Brock Lesnar. Oh my God. This is going to be, but the first thing that popped into my mind was honestly Royd's. I hate to say it that way because you know what I mean, but you, I'm just being honest. First thing that happened popped in my mind, and I like Brock, man. And again, he's been tested through a side. You know who knows? I'm not even uh, claiming anything there, but that's kind of the first thing because he's just just his physique is, you know what I mean, his physicalness, all that stuff. That's the first thing that pops into mind, man. To me, if he felt like the first mega draw in MMA history, where you threw him on his name and it was the first guaranteed, it was guaranteed million buys. Right. And then Ronda became that and Connor. But like, to me, I think mega draw when I think of Brock Lesnar, he's a whole fucking show that you got to buy. Okay. Last one, GSP. GSP pound for pound. Again, maybe the best fighter we've ever seen in the octagon. So pound for pound is what I think for him. I I really do think that, I mean, you can say what you want about goats. Another one that you could kind of slot in that category, but dude, I mean, just phenomenal and one of the hardest weight classes ever in the welterweight division the guy probably doesn't get enough credit so pound for pound maybe the best fighter ever all right do you like this uh current era of like jake paul influencer boxing do you like what you see and do you want to see mma do the same taking uh people who are not mma athletes and stepping in the ring for uh, for a show and for buys I kind of hate the circus freak show type of fights, honestly. And and I honestly, I got to say, I hate the fact that Jake Paul has beaten the likes of Anderson Silva. I hate the fact that he's beaten the likes of Tyrell Woodley just because look credit for him. I mean, I have respect for him because he's going out there making that money. He's getting fighters paid. He's going out there and actually getting in the ring with these guys. It's not like he's getting gimmies. I mean, I understand he's facing these guys at the end of their careers And it's a different story if they actually, you know, were in their primes or even in the cage or whatnot. But I do respect him from that point of view. But as far as an odds maker and betting stuff like that, man, these circus freak show fights, in a way, they got to stop. I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous. It's, it's, I don't know. I don't like it in that aspect, but the attention, the media, the exposure, the marketing, the amount of money that gets bet on Jake Paul fights, man, is outrageous. I mean, he's seriously, you know, the turnover on some of his fights are more than a UFC fight. So the money is definitely there when it comes to fights. So I like that part of it. I like the business part of, of those type of fights, but I don't really genuinely like the rest of it that goes along with it. Yeah, I, I, I hate it. I can't stand it. If you could march out one MMA fighter currently active to, to box with Jake Paul, to, to finally represent MMA and put an end to the freak show, who are you confident right now in the MMA could step out fight Jake Paul and, and avenge everybody that's ever, ever fought in MMA. Oh my God. I would love him. Uh, I don't know. And his prayer is probably too big for him now, but he, but he was at 185 or something. So, so it depends what, what weight class around 170s, 180s. I, I would love to see Izzy just piece him up. Um, I know Izzy's, you know, kind of not in, in his right mindset right now. You know, he's got some issues with the Strickland thing and stuff, but I would love to see Izzy just kind of tool him and, and just make him look, foolish and i think that's the type of fighter that definitely could do something like that as well i like that even i think Pereira could also uh put put it on him all right um uh i always make this argument and i'm a boxing fan i don't know what level of boxing and how much uh, appreciation you have for it i think mma puts out a better consistent product all year but nothing feels bigger than big boxing so like terrence crawford and errol spence you know, if you're a fighter, if you're a fight fan, like that was the fight 
you know, that's been the fight we wanted to see for five plus years. And I guess the next one would be like Shakur versus Tank. Um, it, do you agree with that statement? MMA is definitely more consistent, puts on a better product throughout the year. But when boxing gets out of their way and they put on the fight, there's nothing bigger than big boxing, right? 100%. Still true to this day. I agree with you completely. And I'm not as big as a boxing guy as I am a UFC guy, MMA guy either. But it's true. There's no doubt. When you, when Canelo fights, and it's a huge Canelo fight, man, the handle of the books is outrageous. And like you said, these fights like Spence, Crawford, I mean, when you're making those marquee matchups, there's no, it's a no-brainer. Yeah, it, it definitely trumps what we see going on in the UFC right now. So yeah, those high-level boxing matches, man, I hope they continue to make them. Because they're just fantastic. They're great. And, you know, and there are a lot of great quality fights to be made. So uh, people have been saying for years now, boxing's dead or whatnot. It's not, man. I mean, if they do things right, there's still so much talent and, and so much money to be made across the board for a lot of these guys at a highest level. And it could still be entertaining quality fights. I mean, we've yeah. seen that. We've seen glimpses of it at least. So, yeah, you're right. 100%. Boxing still trumps MMA on those bigger fights. There's no question. Okay, let's talk current day MMA. Uh UFC ends their deal with USADA and, you know, people have difference of opinion on what happened there. Um, how do you think that will affect the UFC or do you think it won't have a big effect? It's not really. I mean, I know a lot of people are speculating and, oh, Conor McGregor broke USADA, all this other stuff that's going on there, right? In fact, when all that was going on, I was actually in the building. I was in, you know, we were filming at the UFC Apex or whatnot. So I kind of got, you know, had my ear to the wall and whatnot. And I was like, wow, I mean, that is going to change things. And then the people, they're like, look, it's still going to be the same testing, everything. They're just basically removing USADA is what's going on. They're removing the business part of it. It's going to actually, I think it's going to save them money long-term. I mean, I think it's been set out there too. I haven't kept on it super tight, but from what I know it, and from what I understood, like all the testing still going to be implemented the same. You know what I mean? It's going to be a lot of similarities. They're just going to try to even streamline it to, to save a little bit of money. I think, again, I don't think that was the whole plan on this, the reasoning behind it, but I think in long-term it might be. But that being said, I, I don't think it's going to change that much. There's still going to be a lot of fighters that get popped for steroids. It's not like the UFC is going to allow these guys to come into you know the octagon and just be roided out of their minds. It's not going that way. We're not going to see Vitor Belfort and Alistair Overeem's uh, in every single fight, right? No, 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 not so. It's it's really nothing much has changed other than the media attention that it got and Usada being a little bit butthurt, sort of like you know what I mean. They're losing a huge contract. Yeah, of course they're going to come out and say whatever they have to say to you know to save face a little bit. But it's just, like I said, it's more, look, the UFC is such a machine, man. They're capable. They've proven that time and time again. They're capable of doing whatever they have their mindset. I mean, look, like you said, they, you brought up COVID. They were the only ones really doing stuff. I mean, they they brought the apex to life. and They're, they're still putting on shows there. At the, and it's it's phenomenal to view it. I'm just little stuff like that. Like, you know what I mean? They, they find a way to get things done and they find a way to do things right. They always try. I mean, from the staff perspective, again, I'm not just saying this because I'm associated with them. So you could guys can say whatever you want. I'm there and I, I've never seen a staff that genuinely likes working for a company more. I've been in a lot of places, you know, in a lot of environments through these years. And the staff is so friendly and they work so hard and they all buy into what's going on with the UFC. It's phenomenal. Dude, I'm amazed. I can't believe that it's that much of a machine, but it truly is. And it's every piece of the machine that makes all this stuff work. So for me, I have no doubts that they will make this thing work. And it, it might even be better. There might be more guys testing. You know, who knows I, with all that stuff, how it plays out. But yeah, it's not going to be like the UFC is kind of stepping back and letting these guys fight and roid it out. It's not like that at all. All right, let's talk uh, some more current MMA. Um, how close do you think... How close to retirement do you think John Jones is 
It, it feels like Stipe is his last real fight, right? Now that Ngannou's not around. Yeah, I, I do think so. Um, I, I, I want to see him fight more, man. It's uh, it's unfortunate. All of us do, obviously, right? Because Stipe presents a, an interesting test for sure. But it, but it just seems like there's a lot of people that are. Uh, I don't know if you guys can hear that, but I'm getting a phone call as we speak, and I will try to hang it up. Okay, good, because it's just blaring in my ears. But, um, yeah, it, it just – it seems like – John Jones is very smart, man. Make no mistake about it. He's an intelligent fighter that knows his where he's at in his career. So I think kind of – I hate to say it, but handpicking these last two fights, obviously the gone fight, I was amazed. I was – I didn't expect him to go through gone as fast as he did. Obviously, the – the aspect of him having a dominant ground game. And that was the, you know, the kryptonite and God's game. It was always there for sure, but how fast he went about it and got him out of there. That was phenomenal. Now looking at Stipe for him, I think he feels like Stipe is not much of a threat. Maybe Stipe is on like, you know, the latter part of his career, all that stuff said. So I do believe that he feels very confident coming into this fight. And then he's going to ride off. You know, if I could beat the heavyweight goat, I'm going to ride off into the sunset and be known as the greatest. There's no question. Greatest fighter of all time. So, but I hope for me, I hope it's not it for him, but I do believe it's it. If, especially if he gets a win, he's probably going to hang him up. If the guy has money, the, you know, he'll get that ultimate respect back at the top. A lot of people still have him pound for pound number one. And, you know, and even with that loss on his resume, as we know, that kind of wasn't a loss. Although, let me just say this, dude. I bet Reyes against him when he – that controversial decision. I had a lot of money on Reyes, and I was that close. to, But whatever. It could have went either way. I'm not saying it, but it was that close. I, I felt like that one he could have probably lost. Uh, but that being said, I mean, the guy's just phenomenal. Yeah, I would love to see him fight as much as possible. But I do think it's at that point of his career where he knows himself, he knows his body. And even though he's going to come into shape and he'll be able to perform here, I just think that it's probably a good time for him to call it a career, even though I'm selfishly want him to fight more. He knows what he's doing, man. The guy is very intelligent. It's a shame, right? 205 got really, really good after Jones left the division. And it's so intriguing right now. All right, uh, Connor, come back unlikely he's ever going to go on another world title run. Although I suspect he wins one fight and it comes via knockout. They will fast track another world title fight just to sell to just to sell it. Uh, do you, do you just think Connor's gonna, is a big enough name that they'll, they'll put him up against opponents that he, you know, he, he matches up well against, or do you suspect like if he comes out uh, uh, and he wins his next fight, it's, they're going to want him and Islam to, to get that second version of Khabib that we never got. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that's how it is. I, I, it's all up to Connor, man. If he goes out there, performs relatively well, goes out there and gets a quick finish, yeah, they could push him into a, a title spot. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. You could go so many different directions with Conor McGregor. And obviously, he still is the ultimate draw. There's no question about it. So you can say what you want about him, but when he fights, people are going to tune in. And they're, even if he hasn't won in a while, all the, all the you know, narrative and everything surrounding him i think is true uh but people are still going to tune in so anytime we were talking about some of those circus fights and obviously a different type of situation here with conor mcgregor but talk about draw talk anytime he fights man the clicks on people's websites are going up it's just good business across the board so the more we get conor mcgregor the better it is for the sport unfortunately for him i do think you know we've seen glimpses of a decline for sure his conditioning has always been kind of a question mark and now you know if his body can't kind of hold up to some of the you know back and forth that's going on in the octagon it's just a head scratcher so i kind of feel for him in a way because i'm not sure we're ever going to see connor be back in you know form as what we once did so there's a lot of question marks surrounding him but is the more he could fight 
I hope he kind of gets back on track. I hope he looks good here because the more he fights, the better it is for just the whole industry, to be honest with you. Even the sports betting industry benefits quite a bit because the handle just goes, goes through the roof. So we all want Connor back. We all want him to look good and perform well. If he gets pushed into the title shot, I mean, it's, it's good business there too. So you can't really blame him. All right. Two more questions. Um, Chemayev hasn't been active, and I, I suspect people are reluctant to fight him. He's a whole other animal, and he's very dangerous. Let's let's work under the assumption when this episode comes out Tuesday, and we I, I can look really foolish right now. Let's work under the assumption that he's going to beat Usman. Do you put him straight up against Strickland next for the title, stop delaying the inevitable, and then maybe have Izzy fight Duplessis, and then maybe you can get to a Izzy... Uh, Chimaev super fight, you know, with Chimaev defending his title. How would you handle the middleweight picture if you if you had the pen, if you were booking it? Yeah, no, I think that's what you do. The winner of this fight, I mean, I think it's been said too that the winner of this fight should get the title shot next against Strickland, and I, I think rightfully so. And it's and you know what, man, if Chimaev comes out here, even Usman, if Usman does pull off the upset and he ends up going against Strickland. Strickland has these, I mean, we've seen that in the past at 170, whatever the case may be, but I'm just saying Strickland's takedown defense has gotten better. So it's not easy to take the guy down either. And then obviously you can say what you want about a striking. He's, it's pretty damn good. I mean, probably I was shocked with his decision win over Izzy, man. I didn't think he was, it was going to go down like that. Just like most of us, you got to credit Strickland for that. So he's not an easy out, but yeah, yeah. you got to give Chemayev or Usman the winner goes on and, and fights for that title. I think it is going to be Chemayev, like you said, and I think yeah. he is going to go on and beat Strickland. It's going to be interesting the way they match up, but I do think that he's the future middleweight champion here. And then Izzy comes back in the equation. Maybe he's rested enough. His mind is right. We get Izzy a little bit fresh from a break coming back in um, and kind of rejuvenates his career. That would be what I would like to see. So Chemayev getting the win here, possibly winning the title, obviously, against Strickland, and then seeing what's next. And hopefully it would be Izzy. All right, last question, and feels a little self-serving because I have loved Yuri Prohaska since I first saw him. He's got this, like, drunken karate slash, like, erratic brawler to his game. Like, he does weird mannerisms within the fight. He, like, the, that fight against... Um, um was uh glover was insane uh that he probably shouldn't have snuck out the victory how do you think him and Pereira's matchup's gonna go oh dude it's intriguing right like it is intriguing i mean that's the sleeper for me of of future matchups I mean, Prohaska has, look, on the feet, he's wild, he's aggressive. It's not like he's sloppy either. He's technical, but he's technically aggressive. He does leave openings, though, and his defense could be a lot better. So Pajeta can definitely exploit that. So, look, if, if it's going to be a stand-up affair, there's no question you got to favor Pajeta because, I mean, the guy is such an elite striker. I mean, you've seen what he did to Easy, even if he's coming off that, you know, knockout lost Easy, whatever the case may be. He redeemed himself nicely. I guess Blahovich is not an easy out. So coming up to the light heavyweight division and kind of fending off the ground game and doing what he had to do was pretty impressive to me. So I do think you got to give the edge to Pereira right now, Pereira, because I do think if it's if he could stuff the takedowns and keep this up fight upright, he probably has a little bit of a cleaner defensive set, skill set, and he probably comes away with a win. But that being said, you see his he he is also hittable and Prohaska has power. But all it might take to play devil's advocate is one takedown for Prohaska, back take to a submission, and that's it. It's a wrap. So that's where I still think the vulnerabilities lie with a guy like Pajeda, because no matter what, even if he's training with Glover and he's getting that ground game up to par, is wrestling up to par. He's still not up to level of some of these guys that have been grappling and grinding it out for years on the ground. So 
with that said, I, I think that's, you know, the aspect that you have to go with, obviously, if you're Prochaska. Don't strike with this guy. Look for that takedown. Look to get him down and look to finish him on the ground. For Beretta, stuff the takedowns and knock him out. So if he can stuff the takedowns, I, I think you got to go with Beretta. But it is an intriguing fight, dude. I could see it play out so many ways. It's unbelievable. I'm looking forward to it, though. I also can't tell if Yuri has a good chin or not because a couple times Glover tagged him and he looked woozy, but like instant recovery. Now Pereira's got good night power that Glover doesn't possess. So this this fight has all kinds of intrigue. It's it's a total wild card. That's the one I'm most looking forward to. Nick, uh, I want to thank you for your time, man. You've been such a pleasure. No problem, man. Thanks for having me on. You guys are doing a great job. Big fan of what you guys got going on. So thank you for having me, George. That's it for me. Another edition of 90 Degrees is in the books. I want to thank my guest, Nick Kalikas, pro odds maker and pro better, the sponsors of this podcast, Pinnacle and Betstamp, and my producer, Jason Cooper. Thanks for listening. Do me a favor before you go, like the content, subscribe, share, and comment. And we'll be back next week with another guest on the 90 Degrees podcast where we give an inside look into the sports betting industry. That's it for me. Hope you enjoyed. Until next time.